Day after tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino, big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? Want to gamble? They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. The Flamingo may be the most iconic property in all of Las Vegas. Credited with bringing the luxury theme to the Strip, its opulence was considered off-putting to some, particularly locals, especially when they were initially informed they wouldn't be allowed to wear their cowboy hats inside. A brief recap. Bugsy Siegel did not come up with the idea for the Flamingo. He stole it from the founder of the Hollywood Reporter, Billy Wilkerson, who had the project largely completed before running out of money. To get financing to finish the project, he brought on Meyer Lansky and the New York Mafia as silent partners. Trusting in Wilkerson's vision, the project was promised to still be in his hands. They would simply supply the capital to finish it in exchange for a piece of the action. They sent Bugsy Siegel to oversee the project. He would eventually force Wilkerson out, take over the project, and waste money redesigning Wilkerson concepts so far ahead of their time that once they were introduced to the market, years later, they would become Vegas Casino Design 101. Bugsy mismanaged the Flamingo project so badly that the Mafia killed him five months after it opened. History fables Bugsy as the father of modern Las Vegas and the creator of the Flamingo, when in truth, he was a bully and an idiot. If you're interested in more details about Billy Wilkerson and how the Flamingo came to be, you can enjoy our 360 Vintage Vegas on Billy Wilkerson, available exclusively at patreon.com slash 360Vegas. We'll pick up the story where that one left off. The morning after Siegel was killed, Moe Sedway and Gus Greenbaum walked into the Flamingo and took over. Moe and Gus were a team. During Prohibition, they managed the Chicago Outfits race wire service out west. Shortly after World War II began, they were reassigned to handle gambling operations in Las Vegas. Starting at the El Cortez, they eventually moved over to the Flamingo. With proper management in place, the property quickly became more what it promised to be when Wilkerson bought the, brought the project to Sedway, who in turn brought it to Lansky and Company. With the exception of a four-story tall suite tower located at the back of the property and topped by the infamous Siegel Suite, designed with escape tunnels and hidden weapons caches, the Flamingo still basically followed the motel layout of rooms, albeit an unusually lavish one. To attract the more upscale audience, architecture was critical to make LA High Rollers feel more at home as opposed to the two Western-themed resorts already on the Strip. The lines of the Flamingo were horizontal, sharp, and modern, like the newest drive-in restaurants of the time. Lining the roof and silhouetted against the sky were steel channels of neon lettering stating Casino, Lounge, Restaurant. Unlike the last frontier in El Rancho's roadside pool, the Flamingo's pool was in a garden terrace sheltered by room wings. With 105 rooms, a health club, gym, steam room, tennis, handball, squash courts, stables, trap shooting, and a nine-hole golf course, the Flamingo offered a complete resort worth of amenities. 
The grounds were lavishly painted with exotic species trucked in from LA to emphasize an oasis mirage aesthetic. Inside the flamingo was spacious and air-conditioned. A waterfall stood by the entrance, a lounge overlooking the casino featuring a revolving bar in decor so chic it was said to look like a Hollywood set. The walls were reinforced concrete with green ashlar stone or stucco. The casino was asymmetrical with two wings bridged by a long horizontal wedge of wood floating over a glass entry. The bar and casino formed a long room with windows angled to look out at the pool. The pool maintained the same temperature all year long so guests could swim year round. Pink leather finished upholstery accented the soft greens of the wallpaper and carpet. The style at Flamingo would come to be known as Miami Modern or Miami Baroque. While sticking with the luxury theme, extremes like requiring everyone to wear a tuxedo were quickly jettisoned. The staff still had to wear them, but customers no longer had to. The Flamingo changed the development landscape of Las Vegas. It was conceptually similar to El Rancho in The Last Frontier, but stylistically, it was dramatically different. The success of the Flamingo made it clear that any form of styling could work in the desert. The impact of the Flamingo was immediately felt and influenced Belden Cadelman to, to redecorate its western interior into a more sophisticated French provincial style. Vegas finally began to realize that it could become more than a place in between LA and Utah, but a major resort destination. In its first year under Gus Greenbaum, the Flamingo turned a $4 million profit, and that's what was just reported. No one will ever know exactly how much the Flamingo made before the skim. In 1949, the Flamingo secured a permit to expand the resort, projected to cost a modest $78,000. In November of 1950, the Key Favre Committee came to Reno. For those of you unfamiliar with the Key Favre Committee, check out our 360 Vintage Vegas segment titled How the Mob Came to Vegas, available exclusively on patreon.com slash 360vegas. Less than a decade after the hearings, Nevada created the Nevada Gaming Commission and gave it power to issue and revoke gaming license. All current owners would not be subject to the new approval process as they would be grandfathered in. Issuing a clean slate to current owners known to have past running illegal gaming operations in other cities across the U.S. What they did before they came to Vegas wasn't important. How they behaved now that they were in Vegas was... In January of 1951, it was reported that Gus Greenbaum was in negotiations to sell the Flamingo to Vegas investors headed by Jake Kozloff and Guy McAfee, both part owners of the Gold Nugget, at a rumored price of $5.5 million. In the early 1950s, casinos were basically the law enforcement of the Strip. So when the Flamingo was robbed June 1, 1951, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that someone was going to have to die to send a message to anyone even contemplating robbing a Vegas casino. The story is, two Tonys, Tony Trombino and Tony Brancato, were on their way out to L.A. to work for one of Tony's uncle, mob-related employment, that is. While on their way from Kansas City, they decided to stop off in Vegas and rob the Flamingo. They planned the heist while they were driving through Utah. First thing they did was check into the Kit Carson Motel down the street from the Flamingo. They checked in under their real names, but both were wearing disguises. However, the disguises only drew attention to the two, and after they checked in, the motel owner called the sheriff and informed him that two people just checked in with Missouri license plates. After checking in, the two Tonys went down to the Flamingo to case the joint. They decided the easiest thing to do would be to rob the race book. 
Again, the two weren't subtle, and the race book operator noticed them and suspected what they were up to. So we followed the two out to their car and took down the license plate number. After lunch, the two Tonys decided to put their plan into action. With guns drawn, the two forced their way into the count room, took two bags of money totaling over $3,500, and walked out the back door. After the robbery, the two left Las Vegas. However, at this point, not only did everyone involved know who they were, they knew they were on their way to California. A week later, they were arrested in San Francisco. The police chief tried to help the two Tonys by telling them to not leave the state because as long as they stayed in the We hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Hey!